Also, as I alluded to previously, a big focus on foreign transactions. This is one of the big parts of the Patriot Act, customer due diligence for foreign financial institution or foreign bank accounts and private banking. Again, trying to get at things which were missed with 9-11. For almost all Americans, 9-11 is the seminal event in the history of our country. For the first time since December 7, 1941, the U.S. mainland was attacked. 9-11 unleashed forces and changes in America, unlike since the 20 years of the Great Depression and World War II. This special six-part podcast series will look at these changes from the perspective of compliance professionals who are impacted by 9-11 and the changes to their areas of compliance. Hello, this is Vin DeCiani, founder and president of Affiliated Monitors. On September 11, 2001, it was a few years before I started the company. I was still working as an attorney in a Boston law firm. That morning, I was taking a deposition in our conference room at 50 Rose Wharf, which looked out at the Boston Harbor towards Logan Airport. It was around 8.45 a.m. when we looked out at the airport and noticed that all of the air traffic had stopped. Since Logan's a busy airport, it was very strange and disconcerting. Even the usual boat traffic on the harbor had stopped that morning. We then noticed some snipers on the top of the new U.S. courthouse, which we faced. We knew something was wrong then. When we finally started watching the news, reality hit home. I lost my childhood best friend that day, who was killed when a plane hit the second tower. It was such a profoundly sad day that will remain with me forever. I hope you find this special podcast series moderated by Tom Fox and sponsored by Affiliated Monitors to cause you to remember that impactful day. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm back for another episode in my series commemorating the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Today, I'm pleased to have with me Dr. Alexander Dill. Dr. Dill, if I could start by asking you, where were you and what were you doing on 9-11? Well, it was a beautiful Tuesday morning. I started out to work. I got on the subway. When I got out at my stop, uh, there was a big crowd of people. One of the people in the crowd said there's a single engine Cessna that had accidentally hit the North Tower. And then that turned out, of course, not to be true. I never did make it into my building. I think I was lucky because there were people in the corner office watching people as they jumped out of the top floors. It was also very surreal. I looked down on the ground at a uh, street corner and I saw a charred engine from one of the American Airlines, you know, jets. I later saw the same engine in the World Trade Center 9-11 Museum. And then I saw the South Tower collapse. To be honest, I was frozen in my tracks. I just couldn't move. And then an EMS worker was running up the street and yelled at me, get moving. There was a big cloud of dust chasing us. So I did finally start running. I could go on for the rest of the day, but I won't get into it. 
for three months, we were out of our office, which was being used as a morgue. So it was really quite an eventful day as well as, you know, the aftermath. I wanted to visit with you about how uh, both the regulatory scheme and compliance around AML and terrorist financing was changed by 9-11. So I wanted to start with asking you, did 9-11 really change everything? And how did that lead to the Patriot Act? Yeah, there were some things in the past that were accelerated. So, you know, in that sense, it pushed things forward. But yeah, I think in a larger sense, it changed everything. Just prior to 9-11, I would have to characterize AML regulation as pretty backward-looking. The idea was to prosecute crimes that had already been committed. It was easier also to prosecute money laundering than uh, financing of terrorism. There was also little interagency strategic planning and coordination. Money laundering at that time was really focused a lot on drug trafficking and large-scale financial frauds. The controls were never intended, and they could not detect the type of routine transactions that the hijackers were engaged in. After 9-11, a lot of things changed. So anti-terrorist financing became an integral part of the AML framework. Cooperation and information sharing, both domestically and internationally, became the byword. And also there was a turn to a preventive approach to AML and financing of terrorism. This is among the law enforcement authorities, as well as the financial institutions in their internal policies and procedures. Very important, the political dynamic changed tremendously after 9-11. Why is this important? The banks previously had considered customer due diligence to be overly invasive in their business model, you know, whether it's deposit taking or whatever, and customer privacy. They resisted meaningful customer due diligence, which I consider to be one of the core attributes of the Patriot Act. And all that resistance crumbled in the wake of 9-11. The authorities had long wanted to introduce meaningful customer due diligence, and they were finally able to. And also, finally, I'll just mention, after 9-11, BSA enhancements have been strongly bipartisan. You mentioned the started with the the regulatory scheme, then you moved to the financial institution response. Did you see any type of similar response by non-financial institutions, either U.S. public corporations or private firms, or did that really come later? Well, there was, as you can imagine, there was a huge amount of rulemaking that had to be done. So gradually you brought in other sectors into the fold of AML anti-terrorist financing regulation. A lot of these companies, almost all the, the banks are public companies. So they have they are public companies. And of course, these big broker dealers as well. I don't know if I'm responding to your question. I, the basic thing was a programmatic change concerning uh, know your customer. And that was applied more broadly to different sectors but firmly rooted in the risk-based approach. Also, as I alluded to previously, a big focus on foreign transactions. 
this is one of the big parts of the Patriot Act, customer due diligence for foreign financial institution or foreign bank accounts and private banking. Again, trying to get at things which were missed with 9-11. Additional sectors, public companies and what have you, then had to file suspicious activity reports, you know, not just banks. So they brought in broker-dealers, what I call the capital markets firm, broker-dealers, mutual funds, and the futures industry have pool operators, commodity brokers, and so on. And then also they introduced customer identification program. So again, this is what I mean. They really emphasized on the importance of due diligence of customers and that's really got to do with the opening of the account, but then you want to track them afterwards. Also, there was an inability to connect the dots. That was a big issue with 9-11. This is both by national security and law enforcement authorities. So in response, I'd say the Patriot Act sought to encourage cooperation among law enforcement authorities, agencies, and among the financial institutions themselves to share information and obtain information from foreign law enforcement authorities. I could go on in this, uh, Tom, but I know that uh, the time is a little short. Do you feel like the Patriot Act achieved its goals going forward? So I think it did, but there's caveats as there, there isn't a lot of things which I'll talk about. I think it responded to terrorist threats in three ways. But of course, it's hard to prove counterfactuals. But I will point out that several dozen terrorist plots failed and the perpetrators were prosecuted. So if you remember the Richard Reed case a couple months after 9-11 on an American Airlines flight, tried to bomb the plane with a bomb in his shoe. He failed, but of course, he's in prison for life. But Sam Hamoud was arrested after attempting to bomb the New York and New Jersey subway tunnels and flood the financial district. There's many other examples. And also say the priority is, number one, is, you know, against financing of terrorist attacks and also finding preventive, again, this preventive kind of approach, preventing terrorist attacks. Also, financing of terrorism risk has been fully folded within the existing transaction monitoring systems of the financial institutions. But I want to point out that it is still a challenge to detect and prevent financing terrorism. The funds are sourced not only from criminal, but also from legal sources. That's one problem. Another problem the primary focus on is, it, of course, preventing future terrorist acts. This complicates the design of a system for detection and prevention. Firms also rely on governments, the government's list of known and suspected terrorists. Finally, I'll just mention that the transaction amount can often be small. In the case of the hijackers in 9-11, it was less than half a million dollars. So some compliance officers might see that as minimal risk. We've got just a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask here as we sit in the summer of 2021, what are your reflections now 
on uh, 9-11, really moving forward over the last 20 years, what has it meant for you and, and your profession? Yeah, I think what, what I'd like to focus on in responding, Tom, is there's a lot of things I could talk about, but in my view, it's technology. Very important, the positives that it, it has for AML and financing of terrorism regulation and compliance. Uh, as you know, technology has uh, really changed a lot of ways in how we work in our world. You have the social media platforms, cryptocurrency, AI. Uh, but I, I should mention each of those has both a creative and productive side, but also kind of a dark side or a negative side. Uh, social media has allowed individuals to express their own opinions and connect with like-minded individuals. But as, you, as everyone knows, it's also created quite a lot of polarization in our society and electorate. Cryptocurrency has expanded investment opportunities if you want to you know, get into that volatile asset class. But it's also increasingly used by criminals for money laundering and financing of terrorism. And then finally, AI and machine learning, they can offer uh, very efficient compliance solutions, particularly in AML compliance. But the models are often black boxes. They can't be properly validated. And this increases model risk. But I do want to end on a positive note about the last 20 years and going into the next decade. The AML Act of 2020, I think, really does a good job of enhancing, attempting to enhance innovative technologies to help achieve the law enforcement objective. Professor Dill, I really wanted to thank you. This is a, a really personal series to me, and I've been thinking a lot about the 20th anniversary and probably a lot more now with the fall of Afghanistan and the poignancy around that. So uh, once again, thank you for sharing these very personal reflections with me. Thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate the invite. This is Tom Fox. I found Professor Alexander Dill's podcast today, a very informative, particularly around the changes in the legal structure of anti-money laundering laws and countering terrorist financing, very informative. Of course, he focused on the Patriot Act and with the caveat that it had been improved after the passage of the anti-money laundering law of 2020, he pointed to three key points that he thought showed why the Patriot Act was so important to the safety of the United States. Number one, it prevented another major terrorist attack after 9-11, although we had some smaller incidents. We had nothing close to what happened on 9-11 or indeed in Madrid and London. Second was it changed the focus from simply detect to prevent, becoming a part of the modern triad of a best practices, compliance program, prevention, detection, and remediation, and really emphasizing this protection aspect. The objections of U.S. financial institutions to revealing or releasing customer information and transfer amounts also fell by the wayside after 9-11, and that was an important part of anti-terrorist financing going forward. And finally, the third part was that it reduced the amounts that we had to look at for terrorist financing. I was not aware that 
the amount of money transferred by the 9-11 hijackers and terrorists was less than half a million dollars in total. So we became much more granular looking at amounts of money. Obviously, suspicious activity reports are down to $5,000. So he thought that was a key component of the Patriot Act as well and how we've used that going forward. Every compliance practitioner is aware of prevention, detection, and remediation, and every compliance practitioner now had impact from the change in the Patriot Act, which really moved out into a much broader series of laws going forward from these concepts. Professor Dill was in business in Manhattan and went to work, and he has some very poignant observations about his reminiscences from that day. He also looks back on his reflections of where we are, things we could have done perhaps differently over the past 20 years, and really with the fall of Afghanistan and Kabul, what all of that means to him personally. This series was produced by the team at One Stone Creative, proud partner of the Compliance Podcast Network. Listen to more excellent podcasts at compliancepodcastnetwork.net and learn about One Stone Creative at onestonecreative.net.